Welcome to the Influencer Collective Show. We have a very special guest today, Brad Heideman. He is the CEO of Tazoo, which is an amazing digital marketing agency right here in DC. Uh, he's, I've known him for a couple years now, and he is, I would say, a pretty great influencer in the DMV area. So welcome, Brad. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show today. I'm really excited to be here. So. Excited to have you. Excited to have you. Hopefully, uh, one day in the in the near future, we can actually get back to the studio and um, have in person interviews. But for now, Zoom will have to do. Yeah, exactly. Well, we're all we're all learning how to live in a new world, so that's all right. It's good stuff. Exactly. Exactly. So, Brad, one of the things we like to ask our guests from from the beginning of the interview is, what is your definition of an influencer? Yeah. So. You know, I think, I think when I think about people who are influencers, I think about people who approach um, subjects and issues in the world in a way that's different than everybody else. And so maybe they take a, a course less traveled or, a, you know, kind of see things differently or work on things differently than all the rest of us do. And, you know, I, I, I wanted to share a story about a woman who was very influential and a man who's very influential in my, wife, in my life in a, in a sort of, you know, a very a very sort of unexpected way. So when I was about about 15 years old, I was working the gift wrap section at a Nordstrom store and we were very busy. It was the Christmas holiday. There was a whole line of people waiting to get their packages wrapped. And, um, you know, being a, being a young kid, I was stressed out and I was concerned about keeping the customers happy. And I was concerned about just trying to get through the line. And of course, you know, you, we all know how frantic it can be in a, in a, in a department store during the middle of Christmas. And so, this woman came over and just started helping me wrap packages. And uh, so that was great. I had a team, I had, had, I had an ally and we kind of started having fun together. And, and uh, she introduced herself as Jamie and that was, that was fantastic. So we're jamming, we're like getting packages out the door and we're making customers happy. And the next thing I know, this older gentleman walks over and he's, he's about six, three, big tall guy. And he starts wrapping packages with us as well. And so the next thing I know, the three of us are having this amazing time and we're just taking care of customers and things are going great. And uh, so we get through the rush, things settle down. And Jamie takes a moment to introduce herself. She said, I'm Jamie Baugh, I'm the president of Nordstrom. And the gentleman was, was Mr. John Nordstrom. He goes, well, I'm Mr. John. Because they, they only talk, they only introduce themselves by their first name, but not by their last, I'm Mr. John. And I was so struck by the idea that, that the imperative for customer service, the importance of sort of leading an experience and important to making sure that customers were taken care of. There was no job that was too small or too big for them to tackle. And so here I am, this young kid standing next to the president of Nordstrom and the owner of Nordstrom wrapping presents for somebody in a, in a men's sportswear department during the holiday season. When I, and so when I think about influencers, I think about people who like set an example and they lead in a way that would, you wouldn't otherwise expect. And I, I've always sort of remembered that moment as a as a uh, sort of crystallizing moment that sort of taking care of your customers and making sure that you deliver a fantastic experience is everybody's responsibility in an organization. And it's not just uh, for the staff to sort of take care of, but sort of for all of us to participate in that. So I thought in, in my way, you know, I think about influencers are people who write and they, they have a lot to say, but they're also people who, who deliver on their promises. They deliver on the values that they extol, the sort of things that they really believe in. So. 
that is a great story and definition, quite frankly, because as a avid shopper growing up at Nordstrom, I always, they always pride themselves on customer service, but I'm sure it was very, you know, it adds this like humility um, aspect when you actually are standing or, you know, working directly with Mrs. Mr. Mr. and Mrs. Nordstrom who are doing the work of, you know, other employees, just like any other person. And I think that's really beautiful and goes to say the importance of the mission of a company and how that is um, manifested throughout. Absolutely. It's not really a mission if everybody in the company doesn't fulfill the values of the company, right? It can't just be a, a placard on the wall. And the fact of the matter is if there's a huge line in your store, no matter who you are, even if your name's on the front door, you should just jump in and start helping customers. Precisely, precisely. So I know you um, just spoke about uh, Mr. and Mrs. Nordstrom and in regards to defining, you know, what you deem as an influencer, but who is your favorite influencer and why? Yeah, so, so there's a gentleman named um, Daniel Kahneman and he won the Nobel Prize for Economics in 2002. And he wrote a, he wrote a book called um, Heuristics and Biases and Decision-Making uh, Theory. And so the idea was really that, you know, we, we had all lived in a, a, for a very long period of time with the idea or the concept that markets were rational, that people behaved in very sort of rational and consistent ways. And, and really what Daniel Kahneman proved was that people have uh, biases in their decision-making. They fear loss more than, they, more than they're excited about the reward or the gain, right? And, and there's a lot of things that are, are heuristics or the ways that we understand the world that are really different. Like our so the brain and the software in our brain is wired differently than than what a rational market would be. And so, really, he he wrote this paper to sort of help people understand that markets aren't rational. That rational that people don't always behave in a manner that's consistent with what you might expect of them. And so, for me, you know, I started reading his work back in the late '90s, and I think it's really it's really influenced my thinking around sort of you know as you as you look at trends, as you understand what's going on in the marketplace. You know, it's very easy to fall into a trap to think that everything's just going to happen the same way it always does. And I think he did a really good job of helping people understand that, you know, we're, we're, not, we're not rational creatures. We're actually, you know, we're actually emotional creatures who rationalize our decisions. And I think understanding that we're driven from an emotional perspective and then we rationalize our decisions later on is really, a, really a, a, maybe a more effective, at least from my point of view, a more effective way of understanding the world around me. And so... So again, based on his sort of, you know, his expertise and his learning and all his research has really shaped my perspective over the last, you know, 20 years or so. You know, it's interesting you say that because quite frankly, um, everyone always tries to tell you, especially as a business owner, if you're making some kind of leadership, big decision, right? It's always to take out the emotion. And quite frankly, we're not humans to not like act with emotion. Like we're just, we like love human connection. And I always think it's so counterproductive because like, I'm like, okay, Jen, especially as like the female business owner who's like, I'm trying to take out that emotion behind decisions. I'm like, I'm a human. Like it's just, it's human to feel emotions towards things. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think a little, a lot about uh, Aristotle and had this idea of sort of ethos, pathos, and logos, right? So you, you know, you establish some credibility, you have passion about it. And then the lowest part, which is the, you know, all the, the rationale, the logic behind the decision, that always comes last. And I think far too often, too many people sort of want to start with the, 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 the logic first, and then hopefully you'll get excited later. And I think, you know, I, I think it's the other way around. And I, and I, think, I think the idea that leadership is somehow 
um, as powerful as data is, if you divorce yourself from your gut or you divorce yourself from your sense of emotion and your sense of commitment, um, you, you really run the risk of, of making some very terrible business decisions. And so, you know, I think it's critical to sort of make sure that um, your, whole, your whole self is represented in your leadership style and in your decision making. I would agree with you 100%. The gut is always, typically always right, I would say. Yeah. But um, you always have to, but at the same time, you have to know your gut and actually be able to establish that. You can't, but, you know, that's a whole, a whole other lesson of uh, being a business owner and leader. So, Brad, can you give us, and I know because we jumped right into it, and that's where I like to hook sure. the audience a little bit, but, of course, you have a really impressive cool background and it would be great just for you to tell um our audience uh, about how you got to where you are and yeah. your career experience yeah so um so i started work at nordstrom that was my first job i worked in the display department in the, during the holidays and obviously wrapped some some packages and some gifts and those kinds of things but uh my first job was really building out the windows and making sure the forms were done and making sure the ties were perfect and i, I really love the creativity of that job and um and I love this idea of just taking care of customers. God, it was so fun. I mean, we were just, there was all this excitement and enthusiasm around Nordstrom at the time. And so I had, at that point in time, I decided to sort of set my career down the Nordstrom path. And um, gosh, I think I opened up 14 stores, wow. um, sort of, you know, it was part of the growth and expansion. I taught a lot of new employees about, you know, customer service and the importance of taking care of customers. And, and uh, it was really just a fantastic experience and I, and I loved it. And, um, um, but but this, I had this sort of one this moment that sort of happened to me, and I and it was really a, like this sort of crucible moment where you know back back in the day we used to do all our inventory by hand, and so we would figure out what the standard rate of sale was, and we figured out you know what what's the standard deviation of that rate of sale, and that would determine our inventory. And so as a buyer, you had to sort of make sure that your inventories were always in line. So we used to do all that work by hand and with the calculator to try to figure that out. And if you look at an average shirt wall in a Nordstrom store, there's 282 sizes on a shirt wall. So it was a very complex, it was a lot of math, right? So, you know, I had a friend of mine who said to me, you know, I can help you write a computer program to solve that problem, Brad. Like we can actually just build a spreadsheet. And so, um, so this good friend of mine, one of my mentors, gave me an old AT clone and I brought that to work. And then I started writing programs, you know, in, a, in an earlier version of Excel, basically writing macros to help me understand the inventory and help me to do a better job of managing, you know, the, the flow of goods and services. And I remember my boss at the time saying, well, why do you, why do you have this computer in the store? Like, what, what could you possibly be doing with this? I think I need you out on the, on the floor talking to customers. I said, I'll, I'll have more time to talk to the customers because this tool, this personal computer is allowing me to solve problems much more quickly than I used to be able to do by hand. And that was kind of the idea. I sort of started to see what well, personal computing is really going to change the world. And I was living it because I was seeing how much more efficient I was. And so I decided I need to go work at Microsoft. I need to go get a job at Microsoft because Microsoft is focused on personal computing and changing the world. And so I set my course in, in that direction and wound up getting a job at Microsoft and loved it, had a great time, started out in sales, had many different jobs along the way. And, and really, you know, at Microsoft, I got to understand computing and large scale computing and big projects and, and how the, you know, kind of how the, the whole world worked. I had an opportunity to work out of the Bay Area Research Center. And uh, I worked with a number of people who had Turing Awards and who were sort of distinguished engineers at Microsoft. And so I had a chance to rub elbows and spend time with people really thinking about where the world is headed and how computing power is gonna change the world and sort of giving a perspective about, about sort of, 
you know, what, is, what are things going to look like two years from now and five years and 10 years and sort of what that critical thinking is. So really, really enjoyed working at, uh, at Microsoft. And so again, I had sort of a similar epiphany one day. I was, I was sitting around, um, at, at, you know, at a meeting at Nordstrom and we were talking about, you know, or excuse me, at Microsoft, we were talking about uh, Microsoft CRM and I was sort of thinking about the practical application of technology to the sales and marketing experience and how those two worlds hadn't really come together yet. And that seemed like a, a great place to, to go uh, explore. And so um, I, I, left, I left Microsoft. I went to a large agency in the Northwest. I learned the agency business. And then after I felt like I was, had a comfortable understanding about how the agency business work, worked, I started Tezu. And, uh, and really the idea is that Tezu and, and really my life's work has been the idea of how do I bring this sense of personalized, connected experience that you would get in a Nordstrom store and deliver that in a, in a digital context? How can I give you that, that sense of richness, that sense of warmth, that sense of personalization, but just do that in a digital context? And that's what our company's all about and what, my, what I think maybe in some ways my, my current life mission is. I love that. And it's so interesting how it just all goes back to that first job at Nordstrom. I mean, that really shaped kind of, I always believe in that mission driven, you know, I love social impact and what a social, social impact is such a large word at this point or large term, if you will. Sure. But I truly think if you have that mission ingrained into you, um, into yourself and be, are able to broadcast that and manifest it in a company, that's just, just so powerful. Um, speaking of, you know, uh, companies and, you know, the mission and culture, uh, what I at least have always seen from my experiences at Tazoo or coming to a company holiday party or just being around your team, there's definitely this different type of feeling and culture in a very positive way. Um, and that's unique and very, that's not easy to build as a business owner. So I would like to um, you know, what do you do to create a happy work environment for your employees? I mean, previously, and then of course, even now, it's more important than ever to keep that happy work environment um, for for employees. Sure, sure. Well, so I think the first thing at Tezu, I mean, we have, you know, we have, we have um, sort of core values in the company that we run the company by, but one of them is that we hire smart and happy people. So we're always looking for people that are smart and happy to begin with. I don't, I don't actually think that I can create happiness for people. What I, what I do think I could do is create an environment for them that's challenging, that's engaging, and that's rewarding. But that, that internal sense of happiness, you kind of have to have that to start out with. And you know, people ask me all the time, well, how do you know if somebody's happy? And I go, well, you just listen to the smile in, your, in their voice and you'll know, right? And so you know, as I'm, as I'm interviewing people and I'm talking to people, and we're thinking about having people join the company, we're always looking for that sparkle in somebody's voice or that, you know, the gleam in their eye or that, that sense of enthusiasm. And, and, and I think that, you know, um, smart and happy as a criteria for building a company is a great place to start. And then you've got to spend a lot of time fostering that environment. So if I've got a bunch of smart, happy people, how do I keep them engaged? How do I help have them solving problems that are challenging and interesting to them? How do we help them think about what the next step in their career is? How do we create an environment where they can explore new opportunities or new areas in the business? And so we think a lot about the sort of cultural liquidity in the company and sort of how do we build relationships and allow people to have different differing opportunities to kind of explore the things that are interesting to them. So, so I think happiness is something that you're born with, but I think we can create an environment that's super engaging and super pleasing and relevant. And that, that sort of, stokes that fire that's already in somebody. 
I love that. So what is the quote, the greatest asset of a company is its people mean to you, which you kind of touched on, but I'd love to dig a little deeper into that. So I always think like if I could measure the strength and quality of the internal relationships and the strength and quality of the external relationships, I could tell you more about that company and its financial trajectory and its likelihood of success than probably any other measurement. And so really, you know, when I think about our people as our, our greatest asset, I think about our people, but I also think about the relationships. Like, do we have good relationships? Are we able to be honest with each other? Do we, are we able to be, are we able to have conflict, work through our issues and then come to agreement and move forward together? And so in my mind, you know, running a company and thinking about talent and thinking about our people, it's about making sure that you have an environment that supports, you know, an authentic, honest, you know, sort of real working relationship and, and relationships ebb and flow over time and they're stronger and weaker at various times. And I really feel like my job and the, and the job of the leadership team in general is to promote and support and engage people um, around the quality of the relationships. And that works both internally and externally, whether it's a client relationship. I mean, if you're really dedicated to working on improving the quality of your relationship with your clients, you're going to be successful with them. And the same thing's true internally. So, so for us, it's really, it's really sort of looking at that, you know, strength and quality of relationships as a, as a governing strategy for the company. No, and that's a great, uh, great response. But, and also just thinking about our current environment and keeping, you know, both internal and external uh, forces happy and engaged, right? We sure. are working in a virtual world, you know, sure. so much with, uh, particularly with a digital creative agency, you know, the importance of collaboration and being able to walk over to your coworker's desk and be like, hey, does this, does this sound good? Like, does this, does this um, idea, do you like this idea? So how are you instilling that uh, co collaboration aspect in the, in the virtual world that we live in? Yeah, so I mean, so fortunately for Tezu, we've always been sort of distributed and we've worked in a, we've had a very sort of virtual strategy even from the inception of the company. Um, but but I think I think mostly it's about being present and available. It's about making sure that when you're running meetings, everybody has their cameras turned on. We recently had our studios um, team, which is the advertising side of the company, give presentations to everybody about how to set up lighting and how to make sure that the screen looks appropriate. Because I recognize that in a virtual environment, sometimes people are feeling awkward about how their camera's set up or what the lighting looks like or whether or not they have a bunch of their kids are going to run into the middle of the room and and you know create disruption. And I think. All of us have had to sort of learn new techniques and new strategies to kind of live in this new virtual world. Um, but really it's, it's in my mind, you know, we're, we're setting, you know, we're setting a good example. We're teaching people about how to do this more effectively, how to be comfortable. And then again, sort of monitoring the relationships. So one of the things that we started recently is, well, I should say recently, we started this about six months ago. We have an all hands meeting on, on Monday and we have an all hands meeting on Friday, get the whole company on, on Zoom or on Microsoft Teams, and we talk about what's going on in the company that week. And I'm always, you know, very um, available for questions and answers. So think about it like a twice weekly town hall. And that allowed people during COVID and during the initial phase of the crisis to express concern, to express fears, to express, you know, whatever may have been going on for them, and for us to work through it together as a team. And as since we're able to do that as a team, as a company, I think that's cascaded all the way through the business where. If somebody's having a tough day or a tough week, the other members of the team can pick that person up and help them get through that, that difficult period. And so, so a lot of it, again, is sort of thinking about the relationships, but then I'm also making sure that people are comfortable 
they understand the technology, they've been given some training, and that we're really encouraging them to be present and not just uh, lost on a phone call and, and not really paying attention or multitasking or doing something other than really being right here, right now with you. Right. And they're the power of the, um, what was it? I think my father put these rules of like the Zoom groom. People know if you're reading an email or what, you know, they, people know if you're not paying attention. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And so, and then for me, who's a very active listener and I'm doing this, I'm like, okay, hold on, Jen, make sure it does not look like you're not paying attention. So, um, yeah. And you just went to a great point um, about feedback. So, you know, what is the value in honest feedback from employees? Yeah, it's super critical. In fact, it's, it's probably the most important thing that, that I seek out and look for at all times. So we, we do an interesting thing inside Tezu. We, we have something called the voice of the culture. And Friday afternoon, you get an email. It's a survey. And you get to rate your week on a, on a scale of one to five. So I have one, I had a really terrible week, or five, I had a fantastic week. And then there's a little drop-down box. And you can put in some information about how your week went, sort of what experience did you have. You also have the opportunity to go to a pick list, pick somebody you work with and rate your experience working with that person. So maybe I worked with Gaby this week and I had I like a experience with her. And so all of that commentary, all of that feedback and the sort of trending of where people are at from a, from a happiness perspective or how they felt their week, week went, um, all gets fed to me. It's all anonymous. Well, actually, I, I get to see the real names and information, but for the rest of the company, it's anonymous. But it allows me to see sort of How's, how's the company tracking? Like, are we happy? Are we sad? Are we, did we roll out a new program and it's, it's got some kinks that need to be worked through? Or did we just release a new benefits program and everybody's super excited about that? Or, you know, is the company running hot? Are we having some challenges? And so, so the idea that I've get this consistent regular feedback every single week since I started the company, we're just about to celebrate our 10th year anniversary next month. Yeah, I'm very, or next week. I'm very excited about that. But so I have 10 years of historical data about the happiness trending inside the company, how people were rating their week. And uh, it's super valuable information. And I, I really, you know, when I talk to the company about it, when I talk to people that join the joint zoo, I tell them how critical this is because I can't always know everything, but I can, I can certainly gather a report like that, read it and get a sense of, and, a, and a pulse of what's going on inside the organization. Yeah, well, that's awesome. I, I, I really like that a lot. I think also that just gives you the ability to be more transparent as a leader um, and just make sure that everyone is, and, and, and that the employees feel safe to give that type of feedback and transparency. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. I'm just going to make a comment. I have one employee who was um, very critical. And, you know, at, at first there were times when I would, I would read this person's criticism and be, taken back a little bit. And now this person's now been working in Tezu for a very long time, five, six years now. Um, and I think I've really just decided that the day that that person stops criticizing and starts, stops making critical comment is the day, day that person just doesn't care anymore. And so as much as there were times when I would get feedback from this person and feel like, oh my gosh, like can't, like, can't you ever be okay with anything? I think that's not really the point. I think that the point is this person cares so much that they really want to give this feedback and they're not afraid to give, you know, unvarnished, you know, honest, real feedback. I don't always agree, but I really appreciate the, the perspective this person shares with me. That's an interesting way to look at it, for, definitely, because that, then they just don't care. Some people are just critical people, right? But we right. like that, right? That like, so 
kind of wrapping up here, you know, what is particularly now, I know I keep going back to particularly now, but what is the power of digital marketing? You know, so so I really think like we're, we're, we're stepping into an age where processing power and computing power is accelerating and it's accelerating in a way that's going to allow us to deliver more personalized experiences over time. And so that the sorting and filtering of information, of content, of people that you engage with, the networks that you can build and the, the information that you can explore and gain is going to become more and more tailored and more and more personalized and more and more specific for people. And I think, you know, I think that, you know, Digital marketing certainly is, is, you know, breaking down a lot of barriers, you know, as it relates to how brands and, and people engage, but it's also breaking down a lot of barriers around how people engage with one another. Some of that's really good and some of that's not so good. And we're going to have to work on the technology over the next few years and try to figure out how do we, how do, we do a great job of promoting the, the, the good ideas versus the bad ideas. But having said that, at the end of the day, it's really about creating this more personal connection and these more personalized experiences. And I think the sort of the, we spent 20 years living in the tyranny of the one size fits all experience. And we've all sort of had to navigate, you know, digital experiences that are just clunky or just, they just don't work for you, right? Or they just don't work for me. And so I, I'm imagining a world in the next, you know, four or five years where things are much more, you know, to the point, you know, what I'm looking for, when I'm looking for it. I'm not getting chased around the internet with ads that I don't care about. I'm not, getting articles referred to me that are not meaningful or relevant to what I'm dealing with at that moment in time. And so I'm really looking forward to kind of this next phase in, in sort of how we apply technology and how we understand you as a person to deliver you something that's more personal and maybe more akin to like walking to the Norsen store and feeling, you know, seeing your favorite salesperson welcome you and say, oh, you know, Jennifer, it's so nice to see you again. How are you? Like, I think that that's what we should be aspiring towards. And I actually think that that's what's that's what's coming down the, the pipe for all of us. Yeah, the whole the personalization is very key, particularly. I I I was like, take not everyone would agree with this, but I'm like, take my data because then I can have more personalized experience on my phone. I don't want to see ads that are not relevant. Like yeah. I just don't want to. Like, please stop yeah. servicing me these things. Yeah. Take my data and then give me a personalized experience. Yeah. Go for yeah. it. Like I figured everyone has my data at this point. Like it, yeah everything's yeah. listening all my devices so yeah. i mean but that's just the millennial speaking sometimes but sure you know. <laughs> sure i mean i think it's also interesting too we may not need all this data to give you more of what we want I mean, we may just need to track your behavior and do a better job of, of intuiting what it is that you're actually trying to get accomplished you know devices are really good i mean i bought a new car and apparently the car's got a little camera and it pays attention to me and if i start to not be paying attention to the road, it pops up and says, hey, do you need a rest? And should you take a break right now? And so when I think about, you know, personalization, I, I, I mean, I, there is an aspect of this that's collecting data, but maybe the data isn't as personal as we think it, it, it is. Maybe it's more just connecting the dots between, you know, what you were looking at yesterday versus what you're looking at today. And how are those two things related? And how can I give you something that's more, that's more on point? So I, I agree with you. I agree with you. So Brad, you know, is there anything else before we wrap up today that you want to leave with the audience? Oh, I, you know, I just think this is a super exciting time. Like we live in a world where, where ideas are, you know, the, the opportunity to express your point of view, to stand up a company, to pursue something that you're passionate about. I mean, we've never lived in a time where it's been easier to get after it and do something you really care about. And so I think what I want to leave everybody with is that, you know, this is, we're in a marketplace of ideas right now. And there's a tremendous amount of liquidity in terms of, of thoughtfulness and opportunity and capital and 
you know, if you're really passionate about something, go for it, go, go make it happen, go make a difference in the world. You know, like it's, you know, we all, this is all of our country too. Like we're all here and we can all make a difference. And so I think, I think my encouragement to everybody is go do something that you really care about and, and make a difference in the world. I love that. And I completely agree. I, I'm, I'm, I'm such an optimistic person that even that we are going through some unprecedented times as everyone likes to say it's like let's take that and like how can we innovate and be better people unify us you know help others and um we have such great technology at our fin fingertips let's use it right absolutely absolutely awesome well thank you so much brad we have brad heideman he is the ceo at tazoo amazing digital marketing company uh agency right here in the DC area. I'm your host, Jen Sherman of the Influencer Collective Show. You can subscribe to the Influencer Collective Show on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. Um, follow us at the Influencer DC. Brad, where can people find you? Uh, Brad at Tezu.com. That's the best way to get a hold of me. So um, feel free to reach out to me anytime. I love to chat with people. So look forward to hearing from everybody. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Brad, for joining us today. Everyone stay safe, stay healthy, stay happy, and live your best lives. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Did you enjoy the jingle? That song is called Luxury, and it's by me, Kat Janice. Find me on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, wherever you get your tunes to hear my newest single, Luxury. It's a luxury.